This is an ABC podcast. Wait a second. Sorry. Just a big farty plane uh, flying by. Sounds like it's going quite low, doesn't it? Hello, Zan. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Feels so long ago. I actually forgot that it was Valentine's Day. Did you? On Monday. Well, I don't do Valentine's Day, which we've talked about a lot. Yeah. But I I did do my usual annual love song dedications to your pets on my radio show. Best day of the year. Which was joyful. But then by the time the radio show was ended in the afternoon, my producer Phoebe um, was heading off and um, she was like, oh, I've got plans tonight. I was like, oh, what are you doing? So obviously, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. It's that. Valentine's Day. You've actually just forgotten, yeah. even though you were in it. Yeah, yeah. I just did. You get anything? And no, you, we just don't. Do no, no, no. And which every is, day is the fourteenth. <laughs> it's all our cast for me. Yeah, got to love every day. I agree. I but agree. I, but I love that you sent me this article because I know we talked about this before. But it's just so good to remember. And I feel like these conversations are getting louder and louder, which is a good mm. thing. Uh, Dr. Anna. Machen, Machen, Machen has Machen. written in The Guardian about how romantic love isn't what it's cracked up to be and this idea of focusing so hard on romantic love, on having one person be your everything, mm. which is very rarely, if ever, going to work out for you, um, is flawed and how much things are changing in terms of how people live in the world now, yeah. how you don't need a partner and you certainly don't need to have a heterosexual partner to help you survive, breed, make money, all of that stuff. I, th- I thought this was a really good article. Yeah, it's it's great. And it, it's certainly something that I've been thinking about a lot myself as well. Um, I think it's, it's about the prioritising of romantic love and finding the one over other forms of love, of which there are many. Mm. And in terms of prioritising it, that's the commercialisation of it. And the business of romance that that surrounds it, but we don't do the same with you know our best friendship love. Or um, are you asking for a hallmark holiday for best friendship day? Absolutely, <laughs> that's what I want. Do that I would... need to get you a necklace? Yes, with a half, half moon. And half... we bro- break it, oh. and I give you one. Is this what you're angling for? It is actually. <laughs> it is, but I do think we need to. You know, people are living differently now. Women aren't necessarily, well, we don't have to get married to a man to survive anymore and we are no longer, um, you know, our role is no longer just to have children to keep the population going. So that idea of romantic love, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, it feels like all the focus of, of romantic love over other loves, it's kind of a construct of the patriarchy because I think it it meant that in particular women who are reliant on men to survive would forgive a lot of behaviours mm. because, uh, you know, this is the one and, 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 and love is hard and, and, and I think... At all costs, at all, Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know, this great love at all costs, all of that. And I think we're coming around more to the idea now that it, love doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. And we do have an escape route because of the advancement of feminism and whatnot, we don't, we don't live like that anymore. So, yeah, I, I, I love this article because it, it's actually kind of, you know, confirmation bias and all of that. It actually kind of 
really reflects a lot of the thinking that I've been having. Yeah, that of part, late. that part of the article really resonated with me too. Mm. You know, lovers protect each other, fight for each other to the end, even against the authorities who are trying to protect you. Mm. And it notes that you know it's kind of interesting to contemplate the power of our words. And we had when we have all these visual cues and these um, holidays, for lack of a better word, or you know moments where all of this idea of this kind of stereotype of romantic love is just sustained year mm. in year out, even though it's totally outdated. Um, the article, as it says, is like, you know, think about the stories that we're telling our children. So this becomes a generational thing where it's just this self-fulfilling prophecy that even though loneliness is an epidemic, and I know mm. you've been talking a lot about loneliness mm. in another podcast that yeah. you're doing. Sorry, I've been um, cheating on you. <laughs> right. There's plenty of podcasts to go around, as we've seen in the world. Uh, but, you know, there's only one in six people believe that there is the one, and I believe that there are many ones, you know. Mm. there's and, and for some people, the one is not someone who's a romantic partner at all. So all of these different changes, um, it's almost like the, again, the uh, in many ways, the advertising world and the cultural world needs to catch up with what's actually really happening on the ground. But until it does, having not having it reflected back to us really affects us and it affects the way that our children's brains are cooking and mm. our friends' brains are cooking and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I welcome this change. Um, also on a, a, a really rational level as well, because there's, I'll, I'll read this out because I'll probably get the wording wrong if I try and paraphrase it, but she's written the power of the romantic narrative to drive dating behaviour and commerce is clear, but it may also have darker consequences. In 2017, the testimony of 50, 15 women regarding intimate partner violence was published. It was clear that one of the issues with intimate partner violence was the stories these women had heard about what love was. Mm. Love overcomes all obstacles and must be maintained at all costs, even when you're being abused. Love is about losing control, being swept off your feet, having no say in who you fall for. Now, that's a big one. You know, you can't help it if you fall in love. It just happens. Um, and then she's put in brackets, even if they are violent. Then the other cliche, lovers protect each other, fight for each other to the end, even against the authorities who are trying to protect you. And she goes on to say, it is interesting to contemplate the power of our words. We speak about thinking, but the stories we tell our children have consequences. Yeah. It's a great piece. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Yeah. So, so good. Um, but I didn't get any Valentine's Day gifts, although... I should have sent you one, but I forgot. No, I I didn't want one anyway. I I forgot until the day, but then as I was walking the dog at the bus stop just near my house, I figured that someone might have left this for me. Perhaps uh, it was four bottles of red wine. Oh, my God, I saw you post this. I was just sitting at the bus stop. Sorry, that was not red wine. That was clearly goon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, and look, I didn't take any because obviously it could have been tainted with something. But, you know, I appreciate the gesture, whoever you are. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Da-da-da-da-da. It's not the fucking deal, double <laughs> The other big moment this week on Valentine's Day in Australia was on Monday at our lunchtime, we got to see the Super Bowl halftime show, which has become the biggest music event of the year, the most amount of eyes on a musical performance. And for the first time ever in the history of the Super Bowl, hip-hop took centre stage. Dr Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, a little surprise 50 Cent. Oh, my God. Bat 50 Cent just hanging upside down in the club as a bat. Oh, I, I was, was worried about the blood that was rushing to his head. I know. <laughs> I know. Like how long did he have to hang there before it was his time? 
And just the, hanging there waiting to be lowered down. I know. Or lowering himself down. He was hanging by his own legs. That is so testament to the way you and I think because as I was watching it, I was thinking and they were panning into the kind of set which was all these different houses and land rooms and rooftops. It was set as though it was in LA and in these different houses that yeah. were all white. But when it would go to a different performer, I'd just be thinking – where have the others gone? Are they just yeah. hiding behind the houses? <laughs> Is there a secret tunnel? Where have they gone? I couldn't lose myself in the moment. Uh, sorry, pun not intended. Yeah, it, I like that. But so it was um, it was so fantastic to see hip hop on the main stage, yeah. and and again surprising because everyone's sort of thinking, oh, we're going back into the late nineties, early noughties. This is nostalgia. But in twenty twenty two, this is the first year that we see hip hop yeah. being celebrated. On this platform. Given it's also the dominant music form and has been so for a, a long time. A long, long, long time. Probably more so in America than Australia. But yeah. it, it, it finally was recognised as, you know, the important musical form. Did you like it? Did you like the show? I absolutely loved it. I loved every second of it. It was... I, I, you know, it's my time, I must admit, for, for Gen X's. We were, I, I'm sure we were all losing our minds. Yeah. I thought it was perfect. Um it was quite understated for a Super Bowl yeah. performance, which surprised me but also pleased me because I think a lot of what happens at the halftime performance is the technicality of it is overshadowed by the, the, the brilliance of the performance. Yeah. And this wasn't the case with this one. Like It was watching, all about the performance. Yeah, watching Mary J Blige just singing her guts out and doing an amazing, an amazing show. Um, that was just pure joy. I was listening closely to the lyrics as well and for obvious reasons there is a lot of swears but there's also like Kendrick Lamar is singing a song about police brutality Mm. and a song that became an anthem for Black Lives Matter and there's certain words that he dropped. He dropped popo as in we hate popo. That was out of the song. The N-word was out of the song for obvious reasons. Any sort of swears were out of the songs too. But Eminem took a knee and Mm. this was, and he stayed down there for a long time. And this was a big moment because people had been talking about how he might do it and that the NFL had apparently said, don't do it. And he did it anyway. And he sat there or kneeled there for a long time Mm. uh, in allyship with Colin Kaepernick and with the racial tensions and inequality within the NFL and that was pretty powerful, again, on that stage in their house Yes, to do that. And I was thinking about the amount of time it took for hip-hop to make that main stage and someone like Kendrick Lamar who is someone who never compromises and Mm. I thought it was interesting and understandable that he dropped certain words in his lyrics because... You don't want this to be the first and last time that you see hip-hop on that main stage. You want it to return. And so there is a a collaboration, a compromise, an understanding that goes with that if you're going to be broadcasting to millions of homes all over America and all over the world. So that, that gives even more weight to the fact that Eminem did that. Mm. Uh, but for every other instance, it was... It wasn't a controversial halftime show and that's probably why. Yeah. Because... You want this to continue and artists have to play the game when they're dealing with these large corporate sponsors and these yeah. large sports enti- entities, right? That's absolutely true. Can I just say as an aside though, everybody heading into their middle age or probably have already got there, they looked amazing. 
amazing. Oh, yeah. Everyone looked great. And also I liked how Dre was rocking the middle-aged man, I'm wearing a leather jacket now. There's a certain <laughs> time in every man's life, I'm looking at you, Malcolm Turnbull, where you just oh, start right. getting around and it's in not, a leather jacket. And it's not the motorbike leather jacket. It's the one with the kind of, uh, it's, it's a just bomber got the jacket. round collar. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a leather bomber. Le- when, you, when, you've, when you've gone the leather bomber, you, you're totally comfortable. Dre also, like, he's known as a producer. He's not. He's probably not more known as a producer than a performer, but he did uh, give us one of the most joyful moments of the whole performance, which is when he sat down at the white piano and started tickling the ivories. The memes coming off this oh. alone, I just want you to open up <laughs> the one that I just sent you. Okay. This is my favourite. You'll see that he's playing on stage at the Super Bowl performance, but the meme has overlaid a very different sound okay. and song. <laughs> Oh my god! And the timing. It is perfect. Dr. Dre actually singing Vanessa Carlton's "A Thousand Miles." I will put that meme in the show notes. One of many memes. If you want to follow it down the meme rabbit hole, you're playing it again. I love it. I can't stop. It's just gorgeous. In the spirit of sharing, Zan, you sent through an article that I loved this week and this follows up on a topic that we discussed with the Bang Fam. Oh, gosh, it was about a year ago, I think, during yeah, mid, middle of mid last lockdown. Year. Yeah. We're all feeling pretty flat. And that was all about giving a name or a term to that feeling, which was languishing. Yeah. And this article follows it up. It's it's like the next step where we find ourselves right now. And I certainly have been feeling it. And I, I, I also hadn't given this next step a name. I'll, I'll give you the title of the article. You've done self-care. You've languished. Now try this. Now try this. I know. And it's, it's by um, Brad Stuhlberg and it's about... Something he coins as behavioural activation. Now, that doesn't mean anything to me necessarily until mm. until I read the article, but it's it talks about even though we are we are doing things and, and we, we acknowledge that we are languishing at times, we wanna feel motivated, but we kind of get stuck. Yeah. And that's what he suggests we need to do. It's this behavioural activation. But um, you can probably explain it. A well, bit I mean, I think that like when we remember back to all those years ago, uh, middle of last year, yeah, when we spoke about languishing, so many people got in t- touch with us because mm. it was just so helpful to name the feeling that yeah. so many of us were experiencing, and not only naming it, but also realizing that we weren't alone; that everyone was in this same boat. Um, but now we're sick of languishing, Miff, because it's the know, third we- year of the pandemic and that was fine to go, okay, it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. Uh, but now it's like, okay, we're still feeling this way. What's next? So we want to get motivated. We want to get unstuck. And this is how to do it, this idea of behavioural activation. It was actually first developed in the 1970s by a clinical psychologist and it's kind of based on the idea that action can create motivation, um, especially when you're in the rut. So if you just start doing something... Almost like sometimes when people say, if you start smiling, you'll feel happier. And I'm not saying this is about just think positive because that can be really toxic and that also can push feelings deeper down when they need to breathe and they need to get out however ugly that is. But instead, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling unmotivated or apathetic, you can give yourself permission to feel those feelings Mm. but not dwell on them or take them as destiny, not think this is how it's always going to be. Instead, you kind of shift the focus to getting started with what you have planned in front of you. So you take your feelings along for the ride, whatever they are, good or bad, and doing this gives you the best chance of improving 
your mood. And he talks about it being this kind of initial oomph as activation energy. Sometimes we need more, sometimes we need less. For many of us, even the little things that require more these days need Emails. something, need a little bit of oomph. Emails. Like I sometimes find that I won't reply to an email for a long time because the energy it requires to just even think about it. Yeah. Kind of makes me feel a bit... And the crushing list of yeah. emails that <laughs> and grows. Then they, and then it grows because of that. Yeah. And this is something I've been trying to give a name for myself too because I've found myself flailing a little bit of late. Like I've got a book deadline mm. that I need to get done. But I've just... I'll find everything else to do rather than the job at That's hand. That's unlike anyone who's ever written a book before. No, I know. <laughs> I know. But it's, it's really frustrating. You start to frustrate yourself. And yeah. I'm annoyed at myself some days that I'm just so hopeless that I can faff around and I'm, I'm not doing any behavioural activation. I'm, I'm just letting myself be in that feeling that I'm feeling rather than actually getting the job done. And, and to know that you can take that feeling and still get the job done totally. kind of helps. Yeah, it's really. I think it's really empowering and also just having that little thing of just chipping away and once you, like, I, I always say this to myself and to other people, once you're in it, you're in it. The hardest hurdle is looking at it all and being overwhelmed mm. by this massive list. But mm. once you start one foot in front of the other, my mum used to say that to me all the time, particularly when I was in year 12 yeah. and I'd be feeling really overwhelmed and cracking open the no-dos and writing my essay at three in the morning because <laughs> it was due the next day. Um, but she'd just come in and say, one foot in front of the other and you'll get there. Yeah. And it was such a small thing, but it helped me so much. And it, once we get going, you know, it always happens, the easier it becomes mm. because we're then leaving those things behind us. I've been starting to, I told to talk to you about my bullet journaling last year, yeah. which I started. Are um, you still doing it? Well, you know what? This year I'm doing it the way you should be doing it. Last year I used it more as a journal where I just jotted down my thoughts for the day, mm. partially because I've got a terrible memory and I find just writing down a couple of lines helps me for when I one day write my memoirs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just want to look back and go, oh, that's what 2020 was. Yeah. But I'm actually using the process of bullet journaling. And if you're ever kind of curious about if this feeling that we're talking about where you're in this rut and you can't actually move forward – Bullet journaling is a really helpful way to do that if you follow the way that you should do it because it literally is simplifying things, literally putting down, okay, here are a couple of tasks today. And if you don't do them, then it's not like, oh, God, I haven't done them. You just do something with that. So you either cross it out because it wasn't important, push it forward to the next day, schedule it, or um, set it up for a different time. And there's always a sense of action in that. Even if it's has it, you haven't quite gotten there, there's a sense of action and as though it's in your thoughts. Mm. And I've just found that I'm letting so much stuff go and that stress go because I feel overwhelmed often. Um, but that sort of structure of bullet journaling is, is helping a lot. So that's my behavioral activation. Yeah. It's a very kind of clinical word, behavioral activation. Mm. I like to call it post-languishing. <laughs> Where to from here? But I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm here for I it. Think it's so. just another tool. And it's there are plenty of other things going on. There are plenty of mental health issues that many of us experience and this isn't a golden ticket to get out of that. It's just one other little thing mm. that can help. I'll put the article in the show notes. Can can you do my bullet journaling for me? Because Oh, you know I showed our friend <laughs> Ali Benton how to bully, bullet journal. Yeah. She lo- and she, but she came back to me the other day and she's like, how's your Bujo going? I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Bujo? <laughs> You're way ahead of me, Bujo. <laughs> oh, I love that. See, I couldn't. See, that's the thing. Even the idea of doing bullet journaling overwhelms me. 
So I'll show you. It's easy. I know you've shown, but you've shown me. But that no, I've done. I'm doing it differently now. Are you? I'm doing it the way you're supposed to be doing oh, okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, you can show me that. Then. I just got the Vanessa Carlton song in my head again. I know. That makes <laughs> me feel <laughs> activated. <laughs> Oh, my God, the sounds of fashion. Oh, yeah. What have we got to talk about? This is an exciting little development. Well, it is exciting. Little being the operative word. (laughs) Exactly. It is exciting for those who grew up in the 90s and given we were talking earlier about the Super Bowl halftime performance and the late 90s, early 2000s were a terrible time for fashion and (laughs) makeup, makeup and eyebrows. Oh, yeah. And apparently we've had the... uh, the bushy eyebrow for quite some time. Into it. But I think it's really important to note that apparently that's over. Thin eyebrows are back. I can't believe this. The uh, mistakes that we made and that, frankly, many people are still never recovering from. from. Never rec- like, they Once you pluck, you can't get back. Yeah, they don't grow back. I've got so many people who have been scarred by the fashions of eyebrows in the 90s. I'm shook to see it is apparently making a trend back. Bella Hadid is rocking the thin eyebrow, although they look slightly different, they don't look like they've been kind of drawn on no. pencil eyebrows, and they just look- like and they're just like a rainbow, like yeah. with one <laughs> one colour, so really thin, really thin, <laughs> and you know you'd match that with a silver eyeshadow or something. That was always a great look, and wasn't it? And a deep, it? deep red lipstick. Oh, yeah, Almost gothic. Yes. A blood plum re- red lipstick. No, that came back too in the last year or so, that blood plum, almost black. I just feel like as the older and we get, not, the more we're becoming our look. parents. Like when I, grew up, when I grew up in the 90s and I was dressing like 70s people, my mum just laughed. She's like, why are you doing this? And now we're <laughs> the same. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, in terms of trends and trend forecasting, they can usually give about, it's, it's usually around about 20 years and that would be right yeah. that things gradually come back. I've got the circle of life playing in her Yeah. <laughs> Now I'm going back to <laughs> Vanessa Carlton for you. Um, People are going to leave Bang On Today with Vanessa Carlton and the Lion King soundtrack in their head. And I couldn't be happier or prouder for that. It's a good day. It's a good day. Um, yeah, so so 20 years is about right, but it usually takes a year or two for the general public to, to pick up oh, yeah. once that 20 years is kicked in anyway. So so you've got a year to make the decision yeah, on whether you, or not yeah. you want to hold on to your eyebrows for the rest of your life. You've got a year to Because once you pop, plucking. you can't stop. Yes, you're right. You will lose them. Well, Are you going to do it? No, Sorry. well, okay, so here's the thing. I don't have eyebrows to begin with. My eyebrows are very thin, as in like thin hair, mm-hmm. and they're completely blonde. So I was um, like eyebrowless until I was about 15 and my neighbour down the road put an eyebrow pencil on me and I went, wow, this gives my face <laughs> a whole lot more structure. And I've been dyeing my eyebrows ever since. Ah. So the, frankly, privilege that people have to remove hair from the eyebrows, mm. I say if I had the hair, I'd be holding on to it. I get jealous of people's bushy eyebrows because <laughs> mine are invisible <laughs> and I never plucked them because I never had to. They're invisible. Oh, what about you? I didn't know about you, this. You've got a good brow. My brow's been the same. Like it's kind of, it's a bit thin anyway and it's been the same since the 90s. I really haven't had to pluck much anyway. It's perfection. So, you know, I've just filled it out with an eyebrow pencil when, it, when you know, the bushier brow came into fashion, but I, I, can easy, I can easily go back if you need me to. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes if you want to learn how to lose your eyebrows. Um, yeah, we do not it, recommend it. Miff, Auntie Miff and Auntie Zan say don't pluck. Do not pluck. No, just don't. <laughs> just don't. Just don't do it. Uh, Before we get into Bang On this week, I just wanted to get back to a couple of um, wonderful emails that I got from some Bang fam. Mm. We were discussing Pam and Tommy, the new series on Disney+. Plus. That was my Bang On for last week. 
And I got a couple of great emails that I really appreciated. One from Natalie in WA, who rightly felt that our reflection um, on Brittany Higgins and Grace Tame's National Press Club address, then being followed by me banging on about Pam and Tommy, the series, was what she said was like a hierarchy of women was being played out and I felt uncomfortable listening to it. Pamela Anderson did not wish to have this, this series made and this episode in her life is the definition of revenge porn. She said no to this, as many of us would, mm. and they've said we're doing it anyway, proving that reaching out to her was performative at best. This is the producers and the people behind the show. That was a crime that she's still being subjected to 27 years later. Yeah. And that's totally fair. I hear that criticism. I understand how particularly jarring that would have been given what else we were discussing uh, last week. I'd only watched one episode of Pam and Tommy, as I mentioned, um, and the performances are very good. My bang on was a review of the performances mm. as much as anything else. But, yeah, I totally cop that, a review of a show that the central character, the central real person, didn't want to have made um, is flawed, you know, and, and we know the foundations of this story are pretty rank. We spoke about that last year when we first heard about this being yep. made and I do apologise for not making that clearer. I think we got kind of carried away with the ridiculousness of the show yeah. um, and it was really jarring. And we also remember when we spoke about this being made last year, it was around a lot of things, including the um, Britney Spears documentary and how we were remembering how we felt and how we consumed these stories in the 90s and noughties um, and how rapidly we consumed them and how today we consume these stories very differently and the, and the sharing and the viewing of these stories is really different. And maybe this is an example, again, of how, as a viewer, I'm still working on that. Yeah. You know? I think and we all are. And maybe other people are too. I think we all are. Like it's still something that I didn't pick up as clearly, I totally missed that and mm. Bang Fam have picked me up on it and I, I really thank you for that because that's so valid. Yeah. Um, another Bang Fam member emailed and was confused about our discussion too and she actually pointed to a piece on Slash Film discussing the series, which I will put in the show notes, and said, yeah, in relation to that, Pamela's story is still the exception to the rule. In this post-Me Too era, she's still up for grabs and yeah. that's messed up. Like her, her body is public property. Yeah, and they recreate – I've watched the first part of the second episode. I haven't watched any more. But they're recreating very graphic scenes from her personal life. Um, so, yeah, I totally hear that and I really appreciate you getting in touch. And I'm, and I'm sorry for anybody who didn't email but felt jarred by that as well. Um, yeah, totally – learned a lesson there. So thank you, Bang Fan. Yeah. And, you know, I think what you said about us continuing to learn, we, we've, we've still got a lot of work to do about when it comes to understanding how we behaved. And I think we are now in a culture of refreshing our understanding of many, many women of the late 90s and 2000s. Mm. You know, you mentioned Britney Spears, but there's there's a whole lot more that we have to reframe how we saw and 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 how we responded. And I think that's that's just an ongoing journey for us. Mm. Yeah. What are you banging on about this week? This is interesting and it's it's something that I probably Have you got a physical book? I've got a physical book. I thought you only listen to books now. I only yeah, I only listen to audiobooks. Um <laughs> 
I have to well, I have to help um, my brother's girlfriend Beck uh, open her exhibition tonight, and she wanted me to read from this particular book, and I thought I'd share it with the Bang Fam because I'm finding it fascinating. It's called Cassandra Speaks, and and this one it's it's by uh, a woman who's probably better known in the in the more sort of wellness field in America, Elizabeth Lesser. And the, 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 the premise of the book is when women are the storytellers, the human story changes. And she works on the basis that we've always loved stories, but throughout history, most of our origin stories, our heroes, journey tales, the novels and films have been created by men, which I think we know. That's pretty clear. But embedded in the stories are the values and priorities that we live by and, and what we believe about women and men, power and war, sex and love. And she writes, but what if women had been the storytellers too? What story would have Eve told about picking the apple? And what would Pandora have said about opening the box? And what about the other stories from around the world that cast women as fickle, sinful and untrustworthy? And it goes right back to those origin stories. and, and His story. Yeah. And when you, when you realise how much of that is carried over into our contemporary life today. Yeah. It's horrific. It's absolutely horrific, you know. Um, also so weird just to have 50% of the population's perspective on the history of the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Like, uh, Where she, else would we take that data? Yeah. <laughs> well, we kind of got half the story, but that's all right. But it's also the way that women are portrayed too, like going back to really early Christian texts. Like they're, they're horrific the way women are portrayed. Hang on, I'll read you one of them. Well, and, and this from, from an ancient religious text, Compendium of Laws. To the woman God gave nine curses, the burden, of the, the burden of the blood of menstruation and the blood of virginity, the burden of pregnancy, the burden of childbirth, the burden of bringing up the children. Her hair is covered as one in mourning. She pierces her ear like a permanent slave. She is not to be believed as a witness. Like this shit's carried through. And this is why we are at this moment right now, this reckoning and... It's it's absolutely fascinating, but I'm so glad it's happening. Because so, what does the book do? Is it actually rewriting some of these historical texts, no, or is no, it just pulling them just, apart? Just pointing out right. the inaccuracies of the the telling of the history. Okay, yeah, it's fascinating. Cassandra says. Cassandra speaks. Cassandra speaks. Mm. And who is Cassandra? Is that a figure in history? That is Cassandra. Is a I think a Greek figure where she was also not believed. Her story was not not to be believed, anything she said. Cassandra speaks. Mm. That's a good bang on. Mm. All right, put that in the show notes. What are you banging on about? What am I banging on about? Thanks for asking. I'm banging on about, you know how last week we were talking about the uh, Oscars and how we hadn't seen any of the films? I watched a movie on the weekend, The Lost Daughter. I watched that too. Did you? Because I was really upset with myself when I was talking last week about not watching any of the movies that are up, same, and... I thought I better watch, I better try we both and watch watched one. the same film. <laughs> I know, we watched the same film. Did you love it? Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not it, an easy watch. The performances watch. are amazing. So, if you don't know anything about the Lost Order, it has confused a few people, and it's certainly interesting to read uh, people review it, depending on you know if you're from a female or male background. But this is the directorial debut from Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's been an actor for many years. Mm. She actually wrote the screenplay. She adapted it from an Elena Ferrante book. I love Elena Ferrante's writing. I've spoken about it before on Bang On. And it's a film pretty much about one of the most taboo topics in our culture, this kind of idea of the selfish, uncaring, unnatural mother. Um, 
someone who doesn't sort of shift easily into the role, uh, who doesn't relish it, who sometimes resents her children. And it kind of goes against everything that we're told in, again, film and television and advertising, that motherhood comes naturally, that everything changes, that you find your purpose, that I didn't know true love until I had a child, all of that stuff. And, yeah, that does happen sometimes and a lot of the times, but also it doesn't. Um, and this often isn't told in in stories on screen. And motherhood can give but can also take away a lot as well. Mm. We don't have kids. No. I think the people know that by now. Um, I love children and I love other people's children. I've never wanted to have any of my own. But I just kind of loved what this film explored, particularly in like some of the conversations she has with other people who've had experiences with children um, challenges with children, walking away from children, all that kind of stuff. This idea of through all of this, women are the safety net and the idea that a woman can walk away from her children is unthinkable mm. and yet men do it every day. Yeah. And in film and literature men do it because that reflects what happens in society and that's kind of like, oh, that's a shame but that's expected or okay. Whereas if a woman does it, what an awful person. How could she leave her children? And I think that it really interrogated this and the tension in this film, even though it's what you consider like a small story, it's almost like pitched as a thriller in places. The performances are insane. The Particularly Olivia Coleman and Jessie Buckley, who plays Lita, who's Olivia Coleman's character as a young woman, as this 20-something mother, mm. they're just phenomenal. Um, and I just loved how nuanced these characters are. You know, they can be vindictive and unreasonable and just kind of assholes, but they can also be doting and loving and expressive and engaged. Like, you know, motherhood and womanhood and humanity is more nuanced than you're either a great person and a great mum mm. who's in it and sacrifices everything or you're shit. Like there's yes. a massive grey area and that can change depending on the minute of the day. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, what a d directorial debut as well, just the way that she captured some of the intensity in the shots and oh, stuff Oh, so like much that. intensity. So I, much I, intensity. Think, I think that's where, why I went, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot to watch. It's um, suffocating. It really is. But I imagine for some people um, parenting is suffocating. You know, yeah. it's that whole feeling. And I, uh, yeah, I, it, it was it was pretty joyless too, Um which, Except for the fact that it was shot on a Greek island. That exactly, nice. I quite like that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that's the difficulty I had with it, the, the, the joylessness of it. Like mm. I didn't really get a sense that she loved her life outside of motherhood either mm. and I found that a little difficult. That um, wasn't really explored either, was no, it? No, I mean, there was a sex scene. She, you know, there was a sex scene when yeah. she, yeah, but I, like it, yeah, it, I, feel like, I feel like she wasn't ever allowed to have any joy really. Mm. Um, the whole thing was very, this is the main character, Olivia Coleman's character. I felt like she, even though it was about that, she, she, it, it didn't show that she had any, there was no joy to any of it and I think that's where I struggled a little bit. Yeah. Can yeah. I just say before we wrap up for today, a little side bang. I've been meaning to talk about this for ages and because we're talking about Olivia Coleman, mm. can you watch, if you haven't, Bang Fam, Landscapers? miniseries on Stan from the same people who did Flowers, which you put me on to, mm. based on a true story of a couple who uh, allegedly or well, they were convicted of murdering Olivia Coleman's character, the woman that she plays, her parents, um, burying them in the backyard and then 15 years later being found out. 
mm. that series, it's like it's dogma. It is, uh, it's incredible acting. It's, I think, four episodes or five episodes. It's phenomenal. And I've been meaning to bang on about it because I watched it over the summer break and it kind of popped up, but it would have gone off the algorithm now. But if you're loving Olivia Coleman and just the art of watching her act, mm. watch Landscapers on Stan. It's incredible. Thank you. That's a good one. Well, you put me onto Flowers, so I wanted to mention it. Oh, no so worries. Brilliant. Thanks. And I'm, you glad, know I'm how, glad I had a hand how, in what, it. What a kind of black comedy and like the sort of stuff that they were dealing with in Flowers. Yeah. Like, yeah, similar sort of tone, different story, but amazing. Love it. So, Thank so you. Thank you. <sighs> Here we go. We've done it again. See, we've done it again. We've done it again. <laughs> See you next week. See you next Bye. week. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.